I watch too many movies. I watch too much TV. Anything else to add? I'm head of HR. The world needs more robots. I still have a page of notes. I wasn't paying attention. Our lightning rail. No, I'm not ready. I'll just wing it. I'm in the zone. Roll for initiative. May the force be with you. Always. Classic. Whatever makes you a discerning The Discerning Geeks Portal. Welcome back, discerning listeners, to a fantastically exciting new episode of the Discerning Geeks Portal, where each week we take a discerning look into all things geek. Again, my name is David, and I'm joined with my best friends, Andrew, Todd, and David. And this week i am got my bottle of Dragon Con Dragon's Nectar Mead that Todd brought back from Dragon Con for me. So I'm going to pop that sucker open while you guys tell me how you're doing. Uh, pretty good. And to tell you a little bit more about it, this comes from a business in Atlanta, Georgia called Monk's Meadery. I think it's a local thing. I don't know if they're a franchise or not. They have a tasting room that you can go to. They're in a building that they share with a coffee shop. And you kind of go down this hill into the into the lower level. And uh, they were closed on the day I was leaving after Dragon Con. I think they're closed on, on Tuesdays. Uh, so I had to pick up my order from the coffee shop upstairs. And uh, the guys in the coffee shop are really agreeable about doing it. So if you're somebody who lives in Atlanta, Georgia, or you're passing through, uh, maybe throw business that way toward uh, Monk's Meadery and whatever the coffee shop is above. I, I, I didn't get a name. The name of the coffee shop is Javavino. The shared address for Javavino in Monk's Meadery is 579 North Island Avenue Northeast, Atlanta, Georgia. Because they helped me out and they brought my order from, from downstairs, I, I did order a cappuccino from the coffee shop uh, to throw a few dollars their way. So, uh, so yeah, I guess I'll open my dra- Dragon Nectar now, too. I gotta say, this is the first time I've had mead. Very good. I actually am impressed. Yeah, I'm not much of a drinker, especially beer, but this is supposed to be very different from beer. It's supposed to be made from honey instead of wheat. Oh, it's not made out of wheat? No, because it's mead. It's made out of honey. I can drink it. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I can't drink it until I, I mean, I'm underage. You're too young. (laughs) Um, But it has even like a little thing on the bottom. That never stopped me before. (laughs) This beverage has been locally made with exotic flavors from faraway lands. Congratulations, this is a noble beverage to enjoy on your quest. Enchanting passion fruit, heroic hibiscus, and of course, the mighty dragon fruit, all blended with our glorious wildflower honey to create this special 2021 edition of Dragon Con Mead. Godspeed. And it does. It even has little skills, age 21 or plus 21, uh, dancing plus 10. <laughs> Gulp. Uh, Sorry. Yeah. I'm drinking too. Uh, hunger minus two and agility minus two. Oh, and you missed one. It's uh, plus five to banter. Oh, f- plus five. To- I did miss one. Sorry. <laughs> And then it's got like equipment, you know, chalice, horn. It's pretty cool, I got to say. On it, it says Wisdom 16. You have picked up 16 ounces of mead. 
So I can see kind of just sipping on one of these while you're playing some good D&D or any kind of role-playing game. We're going to sip on it while we do a podcast and see how our podcast goes by the end. Minus. What do you think, Todd? I know you're not a, a beer drinker. Is this better or, or what do you think? No, and not only that, I can't remember the last time I drank out of a can. Um, <laughs> for some reason, for some reason, they didn't put this in bottles. The butter beer or butter buzz that I also got from there, that is in bottles. But uh, Dragon's Nectar was only in cans for some reason. But it's definitely not bad, but I'm also not sure I can say it's good either it, because I'm not sure what it is. I, it's, I don't like beer because I don't know how to describe it, but it's like carbonated urine is what beer usually tastes like to me. Not that I've ever drunk urine. No, no, most beer drinkers would actually agree with you. Yeah, uh, it's piss. But um, <laughs> this is different. Because it's made from honey, there is a sweetness, but it's not overly sweet. Yeah. It's it's definitely got fizz, like beer or a soft drink, but it's not super sweet like a soft drink. It, but it's also not super alcoholic, like a beer, wine, something like that. But that's just it. it it's not much of anything, and so I'm not sure what it is. It's it's that crazy European crap, man. But did he say bloody hell? What have you got against Europe? Bollocks. Arrogante Americano. Wanker. It's kind of interesting. If you pour it in a glass, which I just did because I'm kind of like you. I'm not huge on the bottles. I just don't like drinking out of cans very much. Um, so I just kind of poured mine in a little glass over some ice. It's actually red in tint. You know, because I was kind of expecting it to be more that brown, kind of like what you would get out of a, a, a an ale or something that was uh, not made from from nectar, and it's actually red. So it's got the the red fire look of of dragon's nectar, um, yeah. and I don't know. I like it. I like it, but I'm not a huge beer drinker. So to me, this is a, a step up from from beer. I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure if I'd sit down and drink five or six of them. But yeah, hey, we're gonna sip on this while we while we talk about the our podcast. Which, Todd, what are we talking about today? I almost forgot to, that we're supposed to talk about a movie. Well, yeah, I'll tell you in a minute. But real quick, it also has the ingredients on here, and it's pretty simple. It's water, honey, passion fruit, dragon fruit juice hibiscus and sulfites i'm not thrilled about the sulfites parts i usually try to say stay away from sulfates and sulfites but um one final taste that's in there maybe just a slight hint of tea uh because Mm. i'm not that familiar with the taste of passion fruit or dragon fruit but i think i've had hibiscus in tea before yeah i was gonna say a lot of hibiscus teas yeah yeah and it does have just a slight tea flavor which is good um, but none of the flavors are that strong. So that's why I'm not blown away by it because it, it's kind of like, it's not much of anything, but, um, but, but it's, it's not bad either. So I can, I can definitely sip on it. Okay. So getting to the movie you were talking about, let me get to my notes. The wheel did me wrong this week. <laughs> The Wheel of Insanity is truly insane. It picked Dune. Yay! <laughs> a Duke's son leads desert warriors against the Galactic Emperor and his father's evil nemesis to free their desert world from the Emperor's rule. And I admit I lifted that directly from IMDb because I wasn't sure I was going to summarize this. Uh, let me take a civil war real quick. <laughs> <laughs> the sleeper has awoken! <laughs> Okay, so it's got a huge cast list, and I am going to go through them all, but I'm going to divide them up by royal house. 
Ooh, so okay. I'm going to start with House Atreides first. We've got Kyle MacLachlan playing Paul Atreides, the main protagonist. Jürgen Prochnow as Duke Leto, Leto Atreides. Uh, Francesca Annis as Lady Jessica, the concubine of Duke Leto. Alicia Witt making her uh, movie debut as a kid, playing Aaliyah, Paul's younger sister. Freddie Jones as Thufer Hawat, the Atreides Mintat. Those are real world words in this world, folks. Uh, Patrick Stewart as Gurney Hollick, a troubadour warrior. So I assume he's kind of like a bard. Dean Stockwell as Dr. Wellington Yue, the Atreides physician. And Richard, Jor- uh, yeah, excuse me, Richard Jordan as Duncan Idaho, an Atreides swordsman. Then House Carino, we've got Jose Ferrer as the Emperor Shaddam IV, Sean Phillips, or maybe Sean Phillips, as Reverend Mother Gaius Helen Mohiam, and Virginia Madsen as Princess Irlong. Then for House Harkonnen, we've got Kenneth McMillan as Baron Vladimir Harkonnen, Paul Smith as the Beast Raban, and Sting as Fade Rautha, also Brad Dourif as Piter DeVries, the Harkonnen Mintat. Then finally, from the Fremen group, we've got Max von Sydow as Dr. Kynes, a planetologist, Everett McGill as Stilgar, a Fremen leader, Sean Young as Chani, Paul's lover, and the underused Linda Hunt as Shadow Mapes, the Fremen housekeeper to House Atreides. I remember Linda Hunt mostly as playing a judge on the practice. And let me take another sip of water. <laughs> take a sip of that dragon's nectar. He's going to need it tonight, apparently. (laughs) Dune was released on December 14th, 1984, with a rating of PG-13. It was produced by Rafaela De Laurentiis, uh, who is the daughter of producer Dino De Laurentiis and actress Silvana Magnano, or Magnano, I don't know how to pronounce that last name. Dino being the executive producer of Dune. And Rafaela is also the aunt of Food Network chef Giada De Laurentiis. Uh, Dune was written and directed by David Lynch. David Lynch has said he considers this movie the only real failure of his career. To this day, he refuses to talk about the production in great detail and has refused numerous offers to work on a special edition DVD. Lynch claims revisiting the movie would be too painful an experience to endure. Where can you find David Lynch's greatest failure? On HBO Max. (laughs) (laughs) That's bias. So the craziest thing about this movie is that there is a love-hate relationship with sci-fi fans all across the board. There are just as many people that decry it and hate it and say that it was horrible as there are that say that it was wonderful and great. So, so where do where do each of you stand? You, I kind of know where Todd is. Your Honor, present Exhibit A. <laughs> Todd, Todd's thinking it's on that that you know hate him scale. Dave, where are you at? It's the greatest thing ever, man. <laughs> See, it's a great movie. What about you, Andrew? What'd you think? Well, I might have to. Go to the dark side or whatever here with Todd. Because <laughs> I, I didn't really enjoy it that much. How long was the movie, Todd? 
uh, two hours and 17 minutes in the final cut. And that is actually part of the problem. The uh, final cut or, or the assembled cut was around four hours long. And David Lynch wanted a three hour movie. The studio, either the studio or the producers, the, the De Laurentiis, somebody forced him to bring it down as close to two hours as possible. And the best they could do was two hours and 17 minutes. And that is actually part of the reason that the voiceover uh, or voiceovers, plural, of, all, of several different characters are in the movie because they cut so many scenes that they had to do voiceovers to help explain to the audience what was going on. Yeah, see, if you have to have literal voiceovers and the characters' thoughts being spoken out loud to help the audience understand, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, I can see that. And that's one of the arguments that a lot of people give. And here's the other issue, right? You're cramming in what they would have made three movies like The Lord of the Rings out of, all being like three hours long. You know, you're taking that content and trying to cram it into two hours. It just can't happen. You've got to have some ways of getting apart getting across the plot in an expedited way. Otherwise the you know, audience is lost. They don't know what's going on. And there's so much behind the scenes and so much political and, and intrigue and things like that, that you have to kind of know what's going on or you lose the audience. And some people would claim that you lost the, he lost the audience anyways. Um, I have found in my, for my personal opinion, that this is a movie that, that grows on you. Like a fungus? Like it's one that like the first time I watched it, I wasn't real keen on it. By about the 10th time I watched it, I can watch it a hundred times and I'm all about it and I get excited about it. Um, and it just kind of grows and the story grows and what they tried to do and what they accomplished, I thought was great. Now, you know, it suffers in some spots. You know, there are definitely some parts where you could tell you're dealing with some pretty early, you know, special effects. You get the wonderful little light laser blasts that go into nowhere and just kind of spark at the end. And you get a lot of blue screen that you could tell is very blue screen and and, and things like that. Even some of the, the space where it, look, it's, it just looks fake. But overall, I love the story. I love the book, Dune. Now, I mean, they can they put in enough in a two-hour movie to cover the big book? Sadly, not really. But it does enough it, for me. It, it gets by. And, and it's weird because I compare it to, like, other adaptations that have been done. Uh, what the Sci-Fi Channel did, like, a miniseries that I think was about six hours long. They, was, yeah, they they did a miniseries that was like a week long, yeah. And it was crap. I mean, it was just yep. horrible. And and this was better than and, that. And my biggest complaint is what I will say right now and state right now, which is Sci-Fi Channel. If you have a planet that is a complete desert, when people come home, they are not going to be clean. <laughs> They're not going to walk in the front door after landing their spaceship on the desert planet and not have one speck of dust on them, people. Okay? That literally was my biggest problem with the sci-fi uh, channel version of Dune. 
because I was like, how are they pristine? Is somebody hosing them down before they walk in the front door? <laughs> it's like, what the hell? Sorry. I'll yeah. shut up now. That's okay. I thought lots of action, lots of cool stuff. And it gets the point across, even though some of the effects aren't great, it gets the, the point across and, and it kind of shows you what's going on. You know, when they turn on their personal shields, you know, do they look like Gumby? Yes, they do. Is that like really cool special effects? Not really. It kind of looks kind of cheesy and, and awkward. But it gets the point across. The point is, hey, I've got a personal shield. You can't shoot at me. So you have to take different tactics. Uh, and I thought that that was kind of cool that we actually got to see that, even though it was kind of done awkwardly. You know, we get the point of what they were going for. Todd, I'm afraid I'm going to un- unleash the hounds, but go ahead and, 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 and tell me a little bit about what, what you got with Dune. Do you have any positives? Yeah, I actually do have some positives. Okay, um, good. Okay, good. Yeah, but just to f- finish up my my overall I- impression because I, I kind of want to get this out. You know, I try to give a movie a, a chance um, because you know we're the discerning geese portal. We try to be discerning. We try to be analytical and try to give stuff a chance. And I, and I hope it's been obvious from the way we review stuff, especially the way I try to do it. Even the best movies in the world, I can nitpick about, and even the worst things in the world, I can I can try to have redeeming qualities about. And I even got a, a few here. But a movie still has to be enjoyable, and so I, I did give this a chance. I've seen it before. I didn't have a great impression of it. That's why I was dreading it. But I thought, you know, for the podcast, do it again. But this movie is hot, wet garbage. <laughs> and I can give you the full breakdown as to, as to why I disliked it, but that can come later since we're, we're doing positives. I do want to back up my overall opinion, at least a little bit, because sometimes when I do have this strong an opinion uh, negatively about a movie, I do kind of feel bad about it. And sometimes I go out there and look at other reviews and I, and I'm like, did I miss something? But I found the original reviews from Roger and Ebert. You mean Siskel and Ebert. In fact, I found both the original review that they did and also a wrap-up that they used to do every year for the best and worst movies. It was the episode where they were doing the worst movies. Uh, Siskel and Ebert both said that Dune was the worst movie of 1984. And I've actually got a few quotes from Gene Siskel. He said, the whole movie looked ugly as if the lens were filthy. Then they watched a two-minute clip, and afterwards he said, wow, that's boring. I've had more fun with sand at the beach. And then lastly, he said, Dune is an unintelligible gross-out. And so I would have to agree with all that. But I guess we're kind of still in positives right now. So I will say that at the very beginning, there's a bit of a prologue, and I think that was another one of the things that was put in to try to help make the, the movie make sense. And it did remind me a little bit of the prologue from Lord of the Rings, and I did like the graphic during that prologue where they were showing the four main planets and explaining each one of them. And I felt like I needed that. And even then it wasn't quite enough to make the rest of the movie make sense. In fact, one of the little bits of trivia I have on it is that when this was released to, I think a special viewing group, like before the main premiere, they actually had to give out pamphlets to the audience to help them understand the movie before they even saw it. 
Another thing, uh, House Carino. I don't know if the word Carino is used very much because it's it's mostly the Emperor's Palace. So I guess that's the particular house that that takes over as the the imperial uh, the imperial duties of the known universe. I felt like the aesthetic for that house reminded me a lot of the Centauri from Babylon 5. And, you know, I'm a huge Babylon 5 fan. So even though I wasn't that much into the story, and even though I don't necessarily like the look, it did remind me of Babylon 5, which I do like. So I was kind of interested in that. You know, there were a few women uh, from that house that shaved their head, and the Centauri women shaved their heads. Some of them leave uh, a ponytail, especially if they're younger and still want to be at least a little bit sexy. But most of the women in the Centauri uh, society shave their head in Babylon 5. So it kind of reminded me of that. Some of the outfits kind of reminded me of Babylon 5. So that, that was kind of okay. Also, I did like some of the sets. To a certain extent for House Carino, but especially for House Atreides, you know, because this is science fiction and it's futuristic, you would expect to see a lot of metal. And because we're talking about royal houses, you might expect to see a lot of gold, which I think we did see for House Carino. But for House Atreides on their home planet, a lot of their stuff in their palace was wood. I noticed a lot of wood grain. And as somebody who kind of appreciates woodworking, I kind of thought it was interesting but even though it was wood, it didn't look like the typical kind of wood furniture and wood walls and wood paneling that we might see in human architecture. It looked like they were using wood in different ways. So I actually kind of like the sets for House Atreides. And then also I might have more to say later about the performances and how some of those weren't great. But I did kind of like the performance of one particular character. He didn't have a whole lot to do, but it was the one that was played by Max von Sydow. I felt like his performance was kind of a little bit more genuine and a little bit more believable than everybody else. So that's it for my positives. All righty. All right. What about you, Dave? You kind of spoke up at the beginning. This is the greatest movie, you know, science fiction movie ever. Siskel and uh, Ebert never knew what the spice they were talking about to start with. <laughs> they really didn't. I'm not sure they ever really half, reviewed a good sci-fi movie, but half the know. movies they were like, this sucked. Like everybody else was like, it's like the next blockbuster of the year. But hey, you know, that's just me. <laughs> a lot of the stuff, and this is probably why it's so polarizing. A lot of the stuff that Todd doesn't like, I love. And part of it is some of the stuff that he was actually saying positives about. The department that did do the sets and came up with a lot of the ideas totally did a great job for like going outside of the box. Um, uh, for example, one of the things a lot of people will probably miss but don't notice is like the floating lamps, um, which are just, to me, are just awesome. Um, especially with House Atreides. House Atreides is usually where you see them. Uh, they're like gilded. And, and, but yet they'll follow people around. Like it's, it's like you have your own personal light, um, that'll actually go around. Uh, I liked how a lot of the technology was mixed in with, with the, the more rustic type style Mm -hmm. of what things were built out of. Um, but I also have enjoyed that. And it was one of the things that like, it's one of the reasons why I enjoy Mandalorian and, uh, some of the other new uh, Star Wars stuff that's been coming out where it's showing you more of how society kind of is that's kind of outside of the Empire slash Rebellion type thing to where you kind of get this this better idea of how normal people are, are existing or living. And it's, it's that kind of stuff that I enjoy. 
the other thing I enjoy is is well, first of all, I watched the extended ever, extended edition, and I know that there's the prologue about the four planets that's in all of them. Um, the thing is, is I'm not sure if if they go into the history. And Todd, you'll have to tell me if they do or not. Do on the version that you watched, did it tell you about how uh, humanity got soft because they had thinking machines? And then the thinking machines, uh, other men with thinking with thinking machines, like enslaved people. And then there was the Great Revolt, and that mm-hmm. was the reason why they destroyed all the the robots and and opened like schools of thought that uh, eventually becomes the Bene Gesserit, which are the witches and like the Mentats. Did they was that in yours or not? No, and I looked for that version, but apparently that version was a TV presentation of the movie where they added that stuff, I guess maybe to help it make sense and everything. And no, that, that didn't make it. I'm not even okay. sure that that version made it to DVD. So I don't yeah, know. It did, how Cause you... I have it. Okay. Okay. That's how I watch so, it. Cause I have, I have the regular Dune and then on the, on the backside is the extended edition that has yeah. all this. And that would have definitely helped you because well, it gives you a, it gives you a bit of a history and tells you where like these other two, these schools of thought came from and what the Bene Gesserit are really trying to do in the universe and blah, 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 and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and also kind of explains the spacing guild. And they also talk about the spice production too. So it's one of those yeah. where there is a little bit more information there that kind of helps you. Um, so that would have helped. Well, but it's, go ahead. I, I, th- yeah. That uh, version I think didn't make it to streaming, but I do remember the first time that I watched it, it was over at your house. And I think we did watch that. And I vaguely remember liking the prologue that you're talking about where they were just showing still images and doing. Yeah. The it was just, it was just of, like uh, paintings basically. Yeah. I remember liking that better than the rest of the movie. And you're right. It would have helped make things make more sense, which might have helped with the overall watching of the movie. But the movie is still bad enough in other ways because the movie itself should stand on its own without all that. And the way it's edited and cut up and everything, it, no, it, it, it still wasn't there. Well, I mean, and that's fine because I, the, I agree that the, the movie is definitely polarizing. And it's polarizing for that reason because basically it comes down to the, the very reason I enjoy it is the things like the voiceovers and hearing their thoughts and the outside of the box type of of things that are going on give it a to me gives it a deeper and richer type feel to it besides just kind of watching something happen to hear these strange thoughts and then see them eventually play into what's going on to me makes it fun you kind of know what's coming but yet you also are like to me surprised by it and it's for the very reasons that i know that I enjoy it with that kind of thought and that process and the unexplained that makes it enjoyable for me is the exact same thing that drives Todd up the wall. Yeah. You know? And, and I think that's, that's really probably the defining moment in it because, you know, regardless whether somebody was like, Oh, it's an awesome movie or, or, Oh, it was crap. It's, it's one of those to watch. I think, because I think it is landmark in the fact that, Unless the this brand new Dune that's getting ready to come out uh, does a better job, because because now it is later in the game, and people and movie studios have realized that people will see it, will go watch a three hour movie, that perhaps we will get the Dune that 
maybe somebody actually originally tried to do and it will be good you know for everybody or it'll be better forever for more people than it, than the original literally most of my complaint with most dune remakes is literally the the whole being too clean and and to be honest, I, I think that's become a thing for me where I actually am am like I understand technology and I understand, you know, sci-fi and in the future and how things change and that's cool and fine. But yet there's certain things that I've realized will never change. Uh, trash will never change. It doesn't matter how technologically advanced you get. There's always gonna be garbage. You know, there's always going to be something you throw away. There's always going to be something where that's got to go somewhere. There's always got to be people that's got to deal with it. There's always going to be dirt. There's always going to be uh, filth. You know, there's always going to be mud. You know, there's there's certain things that exist because they naturally exist that when you start removing them from the future, I've realized that I kind of get a little miffed because I'm like, what, you're telling me nobody spills coffee on themselves anymore? You know, that kind of thing. Right. And and so I've realized that I actually have started enjoying more futuristic stuff in which, yeah, there might be all this really cool, cool things going on. And these might be really cool technology, really fun to watch and, and space battles or whatever, blah, 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 blah. I really enjoy it when I see people like getting dirty, you know, where it's like, I've got to go fix the hyperdrive or something. And they go to fix the hyperdrive and they come back and they're, they're just covered, you know, because they had to crawl into wherever the hell the hyperdrive was, you know, that kind of thing. And I've just come to enjoy that more. I was reading a post on Facebook just the other day, and it was interesting because one of the people, they were talking about this movie. They were talking about Dune, and they were talking about the book as well. And one of the posts was that the reason the person didn't like Dune in general from the book or the movie was that the premise, uh, the overall premise, was that this mythical, magical power could overcome the science and technology and defeat it. And he just did not like that premise at all. He likes for the technology and the science to win. And so I'm curious if that's not part of what this big divide is over. And and because there is this huge divide in our society today, as people talk, the science works. It's all about the science. And then there are people that are like, you know, I have faith in something beyond science. And my faith has more power than your science does. And we could call it spice induced, you know, whatever you can call it the force, you can call it, you know, faith or religion, you can call it magic, but there is this divide between people. And I kind of wonder if that's part of the polarization that we see with this movie. Do you guys feel like that plays in at all? Or is it something totally different? I can blow that argument up. Okay. Because he's forgetting that part of the reason the Fremen won was because House Atreides had a new weapon. That was the whole reason the Emperor betrayed House Atreides to start with. Because he even mentions to the Spacing Guild that the House Atreides was developing a new weapon, system. The weirding, of, yeah. uh, a web, the weirding modules yeah. that was developed around sound. So he had figured out enough that he knew that these this new weapon was, was around sound. But 
the whole reason he betrayed Atreides was because he didn't want the House Atreides to get, have this new powerful weapon. Well, that falls into the hands of the Fremen. So who has the superior technology? The Fremen. So therefore, you're, the whole argument that the technology didn't win is not true. The technology did win. The new technology that worked better than the old technology conquered. Okay, their leader ends up becoming the Quisatarach that has these powers, but that was a direct result of what the Bene Gesserit witches were doing, because that all plays into where they tell you know Lady Jessica that she was not supposed to ever give a boy to House Atreides. Mm-hmm. They were trying to save the bloodline, which is is muddled. People don't quite realize what they're doing, but when you realize that the Bene Gesserit are all trying about bringing about the perfect human uh when the whole house of Trades house harkonnen thing fell out they lost both bloodlines and the fact that they couldn't merge them and that was the whole point like lady jessica was supposed to give birth to a daughter so that house harkonnen and house Trades could possibly get married at some point and they could rescue the bloodline um instead lady jessica gave birth to Paul, and Paul just ended up being the Quizlax Hatterack anyway. And so that screwed him up, but it was still one of those type of things. Well, I mean, I, so I, I do see your point, and I, I kind of agree. I think that there was definitely this meld of technology. But to me, that last final battle, it was very reminiscent of the Star Wars. You know, Battle of Endor. You know, it's, hey, we take these primitive people the fremen you know and they're riding on giant worms they're not in tanks they're not in spaceships riding on these giant worms to to battle is is the equivalent a 500 meter worm is a land battleship okay (laughs) okay it's more so i mean i understand that what you're going for and the whole idea that you know it's like the ewoks no it's not (laughs) it's a little different because when the when you have to aim up to shoot at the guy (laughs) that's shooting at you and by the way try to avoid the you know three thousand ton worm that's sliding it towards you yeah it's a little difficult so yeah the whole like they're not on tanks i'm gonna have to say bs on that one there boss um but you see you get my point right it's it's that it's, it's the battle of you know kind of overcoming the technology um that that is the part of what the plot is um and so i just kind of curious what about you andrew we haven't heard from you in a while Did, are you still awake with us no he's playing with his dog oh no maybe he's not andre did, did somebody slip him some dragon's nectar he's been gone to sleep <laughs> he might have. okay well we'll skip over andrew and go to the next <laughs> and uh what about you todd what do you think what how do you feel about this battle between you know kind of the magic and the, those realms of magic and faith and religion versus the the technology i did not look that deeply into this movie right uh i i didn't i didn't like the whole worm spice concept um you you mentioned the premise oh yeah and andrew just dropped so you might have to get back in uh oh and there he is but the premise yeah i didn't like the premise but i admit 
that it's kind of a subjective thing. I just was not interested at all in the whole worm spice concept. I just, I just didn't get it. So okay. Andrew's back. So now you can ask him. <laughs> Even though Andrew rejoined and the other guys could hear him, his audio is still somehow missing for several minutes. His part will need to be substituted for a while. Since Andrew and I have mutual restraining orders against each other, and it's bring your nephew to work day, my nephew Justin will read Andrew's missing parts. Whatever. Justin, lift up your head from your game to speak into the microphone. Whatever. You're not my mom. We went over this in the car. I'm your cool hip aunt. Your father is my butthead brother. If you do this for me, I'll give you $5. Have you even heard of inflation? Why can't you be more like your sister? I can bribe her with any amount of money. If you do this for me, I'll give you $10 and I won't throw your iPad out the window. Fine. Here is Andrew's part that Todd wrote based on questions he asked Andrew. Why is Andrew's name spelled with a U instead of an E? I don't know. It's weird. Todd's name is just the word odd with a T at the beginning. He knows. And. Why are there so many Captain Marvel posters in here? Never mind. Newspaper articles, magazine clippings, action figures. It's all Captain Marvel. It's like a serial killer decorated this sound booth. Are you stalking Brie Larson? Never mind, Justin. I can't tell if you want to kill her or to marry her. Justin. Just. Read. I'm Andrew, and I wasn't paying attention. I dozed off because I have 57 hours of homework even over the weekend and I got only negative 2 hours of sleep last night. Schoolwork is a vampire and my childhood is the lifeblood that is being sucked away. What were we talking about? Oh yeah, Dune. That's okay, you're back. Uh, what do you think of this faith and magic versus religion and sci-fi plots? How do you, where do you come? It's a bunch of malarkey. Malarkey? Dune is supposed to be science fiction, not hobo fiction. Wait a minute, did you just say not hobo fiction? Hobo fiction? You've invented a genre. <laughs> I'm cool like that. Yeah, what is hobo fiction? I mean, is that like, is that like you know, Boxcar Willie, like, you know, singing songs out on the railroad? Because, I mean, that's cool. I like Boxcar Willie, but... You know, it's hobo fiction. Homeless people with space stuff. Now, see, that's something, though, that I would actually pay money to see. That's a movie I would pay to see. I would like to see, like, what are the hobos in, like, Star Wars doing? <laughs> like, are they, are they seeking on the Star Destroyers to, like, you well, know, so, trying on. to avoid and get, get someplace or what? Uh, I kind of want to get, I would really want to get Andrew's opinion on this. So, when Luke Skywalker uses magical powers of the Force, not technology, he turns off his targeting computer to destroy the Death Star. You say that that's malarkey and that's not science fiction? Science fiction, fantasy, hobo fiction, whatever you want to call it. Why would anyone call their supposedly badass weapon technology? Weirding modules. That's weird, not cool. I mean, the word weird is part of the name. (laughs) But to answer your question, the hobo fiction in Dune is more cheap-wheeled, more fantasy-based because Paul Atreides just automatically has special abilities. There's less background, no skill, no science behind it, no nothing. There was a prophecy, and he fulfilled the prophecy, but we didn't see much reason why he did. In Star Wars, Luke Skywalker just shot some torpedoes into a hole, but as he said in the movie, he used a bullseye Wompratz in his T-16 back home. Well, that's what he did. He just he just didn't use his targeting computer. That was a combination of skill, luck, and yes. The little bit of training he got from Obi-Wan. He, he felt for it, maybe it was. He just got lucky with the Death Star. Okay? I bet he can't do it twice. That was the Force, though, right? It enhances the luck. Now Darth Vader, he doesn't just get lucky. 
He has skill in proper training. Okay. Well, everybody loves Darth Vader better because he's a badass. He just beats stuff up. See, but however, though, Dave does have a point in the fact of let's look there. That would probably be a better example because Darth Vader, especially when you look at like Rogue One and the scene everybody loves because it's like Darth Vader just kicking ass. That would probably be a better example in which here is a guy that's using a technology that most people can't use, a lightsaber. But yet in his fighting style... Uh, what really, truly makes him absolutely unstoppable beyond the lightsaber, because the lightsaber is enough, if you know how to use it, is the force power. And the fact that he's like disarming eight guys at once, and he's like throwing four guys against the wall and, and things like that. Is that not still science fiction? Or is that more fantasy, where you're more f- drifting into the Harry Potter realm? Which which would you think it would be? I think it's more fantasy, but it doesn't really matter because it's all about entertainment, right? <laughs> well, yeah, but you know, <laughs> it does. Yeah, no, you're right, and I guess that was kind of that. That's where I fall, right? I, I don't necessarily have to feel like I got to draw these harsh lines between this is science fiction, this is fantasy. To me, some of the absolute best cross those lines. And I love it when those lines are crossed. Uh, there, Andrew is back in now. See, you didn't have to read that many lines. That wasn't so bad. Does Andrew really doze off and does he really feel that way about everything I just read? No, Andrew just had technical difficulties. And I think Todd elaborated a little bit with the script, especially the part about the weirding modules and the prophecy. He can do that as editor. It's called a power trip. I know what a power trip is. Now where's my $20? You do know what a power trip is. We agreed on 10 Yeah, but I know where in your house you keep an even bigger stash of Captain Marvel photos, and Wonder Woman, and Jean Grey from the X-Men, and two barbarian women from some 90s TV show, Zena and Gabrielle, and- Okay, okay, Justin, here's $30. Now keep your mouth shut and stay out of my bedroom. I can remember reading a uh, science fiction series back when I was like in middle school and high school, and the first like three books were total fantasy. And you were like wrapped up in this fantasy. And then by book four, five, four and five, they switched it. And you find out that there is this science that's giving them all these powers behind the fantasy. And it totally switches over to sci-fi. And I love that. I thought that was it's just phenomenal. Uh, it's one of the things I like about Dune. It's one of the things I like about Star Wars. You know, I love that blend of at sci-fiction. We got spaceships. We got lightsabers we got this but there's this element of a fantasy there and it happens in all of it right i mean you know we we did a whole episode of on q um in star trek he's not necessarily following the laws of science when he's you know blipping around changing things and doing things he's he's pretty much a fantasy element that's introduced um into that world so um, and go back and listen to our Q episode. Um, I don't remember which one it was. It was pretty early on, like episode three or four. Episode uh, five. Five. Uh, it was a good episode. Yeah. Don't we blame uh, like all of our technical difficulties on Q? <laughs> don't, yeah, when my sometimes. mic went out, Q was just like, eh, uh, not, not ever since he kidnapped Todd. <laughs> he did kidnap Todd one time. That's true. That was in the outros for both episodes four and five. Now we blame it on um, Joanna. So, you know, she was the one that turned your mic off. I think it was revenge for the last time we had an episode. You talked bad about her. Great. Now you are also blaming me for stuff I have no control over. 
Joanna, it just <laughs> me and her aren't down but we, like we don't have a good history like at all at this point <laughs> there's no good side okay we just hate each other now now i do i of course absolutely i absolutely adore this movie um because of the things that i've said and but i do agree with how i, I can totally see how people that have not read the book because it's one of the. This is definitely one of those movies where, when you if you watch it, if you have any kind of inkling to it that you like it, um, you should really go out and get the book. Uh, because if if you had an inkling that you might like the movie, um, you should go out and get the book and read the book and and use it as a companion. You, if you have an inkling that you'll like the movie, then then if after reading the book, you'll 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 actually start enjoying it. And, and the reason is is because things like what Todd said about like he didn't understand the whole spice thing. I just got an email from Todd, and I think he forgot to turn his caps lock off. He said he understood the whole spice thing. He just didn't care for it. You really won't get that. I mean, you if you if you pick it apart, you can. I mean, but you have to really pay attention to get it from the from the film. But basically, the whole the whole idea spice is actually dead worms. the The worms that have died and have and have broken apart on basically because they evidently come up to the surface when they die. Um, when they die and decompose, they leave the remnants of whatever their cells are, and that is actually the spice. So what the miners are actually mining out of the sand is spice that's the reason their mine their their mining equipment looks like a giant vacuum because they're basically just sucking up all this stuff out of the sand and then they're processing the sand out of it to get the spice um it's also the reason why the worms attack the the rhythmic vibrations do attract them but what it is is they don't like people disturbing the burial site of where a worm has died and so that's the reason they're really attacking um because they're like, hey, you know, you, that that was my uncle or whatever, um, and then everything's connected with the worms because the whole mystical fluid is like what happens is the bile of a worm and all this kind of stuff, and and so that's where the mystical part that Dave was talking about does play in because there is one point where when Paul becomes the Quizot Sadrach, the worms kind of come and honor him. They, they realize that he is the supreme being and they've been kind of waiting on this guy too because in a way they know he'll he's going to bring them peace as well. The other, I think, interesting point that's really hard to understand is the difference is what this whole idea of the Fremen and the Shadakar, who is the emperor's like shock troops, um, what they actually have in common Um and you don't get that unless you read the book because the movie doesn't do anything with it besides just say the Shadokar are these badass warriors. The, in in the book, you learn that there was a prison planet that the Emperor sent everybody to and they just dropped people off. They didn't care. There was nothing. They just basically just marooned them on this toxic waste planet expecting most of them to die. And what ended up happening was the people there realized they had to fight to survive because everybody was out to get them. There was no resources whatsoever, so whoever had whatever had to be strong enough to defend it. And what ended up happening was they survived. They ended up actually uh, able to start thriving on this toxic waste planet. Um, And it was still a dog-eat-dog thing. The strongest still survived. And what ended up happening was... uh, Nobody could control them, but they became such fierce warriors that the emperor realized that he could use them. And so it would basically be like if you had normal troops 
you know, like like in the like let's let's take the Star Wars reference. You know how they all they were all called stormtroopers. Well, if if everybody normally had stormtroopers, then basically the Shadokar would be like death troopers. You know, like all of them were death troopers. And so that was what the emperor had access to. So that was like his great military arm was because uh, the whole idea was that one battalion of or one division of Shadokar was equal to like 10 divisions of normal troops that any house could bring up. This also plays in from the book with the Fremen because the Fremen also live on a planet that is absolutely harsh. That is absolutely 100%. You have to try to survive every moment of every day at all the time. And that's what made the Fremen as strong and as powerful on a fighting stance as the Shadokar. The only difference was the Fremen actually put a kind of, uh, I don't know if you want to call it religious um, hierarchy to it or a... Or, or well, I guess it was that instead of just being dog eat dog, it was this they were being tested by God, you know, and so that was the reason they were able to organize themselves in what seemed more of a civilized manner, while the Shadokar were just you know they would just you know eat your face off. But it was also the, one of the reasons why they wore the suits, um, and and you don't get it because at one point I think there's a close-up scene where I think somebody breaks their, one of the guy's gas plates or whatever face plate and this gas starts shooting out and you see the guys start convulsing and it's because he lives on a toxic waste planet. That's the only way they can like go out and, and, and fight is they actually have to put these suits on because they've all become adjusted to the toxic waste, toxic waste gas that's in on their planet to where that's how they have to fight that, you know, they need that gas to breathe because that's how how much they've changed because it's like I forgot what the year what was the year like 33608 or something like yeah. that in the movie the year is 10191 it's like in the years before the Padishah emperors and it's like what but um and the only reason I wanted to mention that was because I just I find it interesting uh, but it's also one of those that I think it does highlight what Todd was saying on there are certain things where yeah you're you're probably just not going to get it and it's sad, but it is. It's true. Well, it, it is. It's To me, it is a movie that almost needs a primer. Of course, the big primer is just read the book. Um, yeah. and, and I think there is some in, more enjoyment that can be had by having that background. The book reads really cool because you really get into the whole political intrigue of the behind the scenes and all of that that's going on that you really can't get much of anything in the book. You know, you kind of know that the emperor is setting up, you know, house of trades with the Harkonnens and, and you get that. They basically say that at the beginning, you know, pretty much point blank. Hey, this is what's happening. We're, we're putting them there so that we can come and, and attack them and kill them and, and get them in a weak place. But there's a lot of other, you know, kind of behind the scenes stuff going on between the, all the different political parties. You've got, the, the guild, the Spice Guild, you've got the Bene Gesserits and everything, and then the other houses. Um, so it, it, there's a lot going on that obviously the movie doesn't touch on. So that kind of does leave it out there hanging. And so I can see the negative there. I don't want to cut our, our plot short here. Um, I want to make sure we have time to, to do everything that we normally do for a movie. And we've talked about a lot of positives, but I want—I know Todd's got a list of some negatives for this movie. 
and I want to make sure we hit them before we get into our lightning round. So and he's got one minute to go through them all. Yeah, <laughs> and I might be able to do it. Oh, okay. Well, let's hit, hit, hit me, hit me with your best shot. I'm stuttering okay, a so, little bit. I'm almost at the end of my 16 ounce dragon nectar. You okay, so so considering so considering how badly I, I dislike the movie, I, I do want to go through the whole breakdown and show that there are multiple components. But I'll try to do it as quickly as possible. Let me take a sip of water. Water. Aren't you drinking your mead? Uh, no, I put it back in the refrigerator. Oh. <laughs> okay, first the story, and it breaks down to premise, plot, pacing, and progression. The premise, I've already said I didn't like it, and the plot, it, much of it is convoluted for some of the reasons we've already said. Uh, as far as the progression, there are several times I had to rewind to see if I missed something, and I didn't. Uh, from what I've read, the original uh, cut was four hours, and a lot had to be cut out, and I can actually feel the missing pieces. Uh, also, near the end, there are these weird scene transitions in the last third of the movie, and they only happen about three or four times, but they're different from all the other scene transitions. So they seem kind of just put in for random reasons. It's like, it's like it, it didn't make sense. It almost felt like the, the screen was transforming, like a transformer from Michael Bay movie. Uh, pacing. It was slow, at least in the first two thirds. It picked up pacing at the end, but only after making at least one time jump, which actually made it feel rushed. So hardly any of the movie feels like it goes at a normal speed. Uh, characters. None of the characters are particularly cool, compelling, or sympathetic. Uh, the love story between Paul and Chani was especially rushed and underdeveloped. Chani was played by Sean Young, who was in Blade Runner, which I also didn't like. Uh, performances. I'm usually pretty forgiving of performances, but there were several performances from actors who I assume are otherwise good in other things that just seem over the top or ham fisted. I mean, it was just really rare. I was like, really? The, who, who made that choice? The, the actor themselves or the director and who okayed it? It was just weird. Dialogue. Much of the dialogue is kind of strange or off-putting. Some of that comes from those whispery voiceovers that we've already talked about. And some of those voiceovers were actually kind of creepy too. And the bad thing is that We've already talked about how the voiceovers were put in because they had to be to help the, the movie make at least a little bit more sense. But then the voiceovers themselves were bad. So it was kind of a lose-lose situation. Also, as part of the dialogue, the names of people and things in the movie are strange. And I know a lot of that can probably be blamed on the book because they had to come from the book. But things like Thurfer, Dr. Yue, Weirding Modules, Quitsack Hatterack. I mean, I don't know who can say that Quitsack Hatterack is supposed to be this awesome thing and, and take it seriously. Muadib, Weirding Way, Usul. Now, I think Usul actually, I think I read somewhere is actually biblical, but just because it's biblical doesn't mean it sounds cool for a science fiction movie. So there's just so many names in the movie that's like, uh, these are weird. Moments. There are no really good moments, at least not for me, and at least not in the first two thirds of the movie. In fact, there were a lot of bad moments, and almost all of them involved the Baron from House Harkonnen because he's repulsive. And so any scene he's in automatically makes the movie just downright unpleasant. Now, moments got a little bit better toward the end with the taming of the sandworms, and the movie almost felt like it was trying to be more epic, but by then I also felt like it hadn't earned it because of everything else before that being either rushed or convoluted. Uh, production quality. I've already mentioned how some of the sets and the costumes were pretty good, but then other sets and other costumes weren't that great. Uh, and then as far as the visual effects, we've talked about it a little bit too. Even though this movie was made in the 1980s, there were times where it felt almost like it was made in the 1960s or 1970s. And the worst examples would be some of the ships in space. Some of them looked like half transparent. I mean, there were stars behind them and there were times where I could literally see stars behind ships. And I was like, 
are they half cloaked? Is that a special feature of the ship? And I think it's probably just bad special effects. Uh, the miniatures of the base on Arrakis looked like miniatures, including when things got blown up. You could tell that it was uh, little fires on little things rather than big explosions on, on big things. I think you guys have already talked a little bit about the blue screen and green screening, and I made that quote from Gene Siskel. Um, also, the music is weird, and I'm not saying the music itself is bad. It's just the music that was chosen and the moments that some of the music was used for was really weird, especially toward the end when, like I said, things started to kind of feel more epic, and there were this weird uh, guitar tunes, electric guitar tunes. It's in the 80s, man. I know, but still, it, it seemed weird. And then during the end credits, the, the music that was during the end credits, that didn't seem to fit either. And finally, I've got one complaint about the, uh, the uh, space folding slugs, but I've been rambling for a while, so I'll, I'll, I'll save that and I'll let somebody else. <laughs> it was Toto. You didn't have, I had a Toto on CD, on, well, not on CD, on tape. You, Dave's mentioned my CD or ta- tape collection that I had in my car. Oh, you actually had a Toto, a Toto oh, I, tape? I had two or three Toto. All I, I remember was like 30 <laughs> tapes of Rush. That's all I remember. I had Rush and I had Queen and I had Toto. Yeah, Toto was awesome. Definitely a, 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 a un- underappreciated band. Yeah, but did you have 80s. Maha Man? <laughs> Did did you ever go to the beach with me and Todd and we would be doing the the Tarzan song or whatever it was? <laughs> no. Uh, I think we were driving separate or something. I think so. Um, but yeah, so we're running long. We're going to have to get to our, our lightning round. But th- Andrew, what else would you have? Did you have any negatives that you oh. wanted to get out there before? Yeah. So what's up with the worms? Okay. Why are they so big? And why is there like nine of them? I don't get it. And why do they all look slightly different in such bad CGI? Wait, are I, are you being like racist here? Because you know, yeah. you expected them to be all exactly alike, exactly the same. They don't look like you. There was more than nine. <laughs> Did you, there was the little one they drowned. Well, I mean, honestly, I would have made a better worm than these guys. <laughs> but yeah, and then pacing is just horrible like i can't tell what the hell is happening at any given point in time so so wait i I do have a challenge here how would you make a better worm you know you've got to make a worm that's like 300 to 500 meters long and make it come out of the ground so that a a person with a camera can record it i'm curious how you would make that better right a that's what she said and then um, <laughs> B, I'll send you my audition tape or something like what? All right. So hey, here, can- here, I'll get a cord. Okay. And then I'll just dangle it and then I'll just put like a layer of sand and then loop it through the sand. And then there's a better worm than these things. That's it. Oh, okay. It's not that. All right. I will challenge you, man. We'll post it on Facebook if you could do a better video with worms. Uh, okay. Because uh, I thought the I thought the worms were cool. I mean, especially for back in the day, that's not an easy thing to do. I can make more than nine yeah. of them. Though. Well, nine. There and was half. more than nine. Nine and a half. <laughs> the whole planet was full of worms. Well, then why did only nine show up? Because I was only nine. They were close. Well, Dork. sounds like the other like four thousand of them were slacking off. It's a thumper. The sound only travels so far. Why is the name Thumper, though? 
Okay, like call it something cooler. Call it space worm or anything. Because it thumps. <laughs> I can so thump. it's a thumper. Hey, watch this. I'm a thumper. Like, what are we yeah, doing that's here? Exactly what a thumper does. That's it. That's all it does. It makes a rhythm rhythmic. Now I actually Ugh. have a nitpick, but the nitpick is is specific. Okay, because the 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 nitpick that I like is is or really enjoy in one of the versions I think of the movie, um, and I can't remember which one it is. Uh, it's it's mentioned how Paul ends up marrying the emperor's daughter. There was a guy named to Paul? become to become become um, emperor of the known universe in other words he marries the emperor's daughter and so therefore is now next in in line or their son would be etc and so forth but one of the kind of neat things that's left out that i really wish they hadn't left out was the guy he fights when they first meet the fremen it's not stilger stilger is the head of the tribe but it was the other guy and they wrap him up and then paul is put in charge of the water after they dehydrate him when they when he's after he's dead um, and he's put in charge of like 10 point some decaliters. Well, the, the really cool thing is, and this is one of the things about reading the book, is Paul is now actually responsible for his wife and sons um, because they have nothing after the guy's passed away. And he, she becomes like, I think what's called his second wife or something. And she ends up being just a total like badass because they reconcile based on the whole Fremen thing and like – that was the whole reason why the two kids were in with the hundred being trained that would train like the thousands more because that was like part of the deal was, and they end up being like, just it's, it's just neat how in the book and everything, um, Paul's basically married three times. Like he's married to the emperor and that's just a political marriage. He didn't care about that. They don't sleep together. Nothing. He loves Chani. Chani's like his actual first wife. But he actually has this second Fremen wife that is the that was the wife of the guy that he ended up having to that he ended up killing or had the fight with when he first met the Fremen. I think she ends up in one of the books sacrificing herself to protect him. Uh, it's it's just it was just one of those things that I wish they had kind of explored a little bit more because it's you know it's mentioned one time where the emperor was like. You know, we flushed some of them out, and the women and children actually overpowered some of our our Sadakar. And it just kind of shows how, like, everybody fights. Like, nobody's nobody's not fighting. And the other creepy thing was, uh, like, Paul's sister, who ends up being <laughs> born, uh, there's, like, they're in the book. It talks about how, like, they're, they were having a fight or something out in the desert or whatever. And, like, they're... They're running them off because the the Sadakar or the Harkonnen guys have totally gotten, you know, the crap beat out of them. And his sister is just walking around with a Fremen knife just stabbing people. <laughs> She's just like, stab, 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 stab. And it's, it's done and written in such a way that you get this really creepy idea that, wow, she's nuts. <laughs> And it's just, to me, it makes me giggle. I don't know why it makes me giggle, but it does. Yeah, I will say, you know, there are some elements in this movie that, that are out there, right? I, I mean, we even get the whole one scene where she's kind of defeated the Baron and kind of, you know, poked a hole in him and he flies through the worm and gets eaten. And they they win and she's standing there with a knife just kind of like, you know, arms stretched out. And it's, ah. Oh! 
and, and it's like, whoa, okay, she looks kind of creepy. Um, and there's there are some elements that are definitely weird in this in this movie, so I can I can see where it can kind of be off-putting. I, I definitely see that, and there are definitely some challenges with a lot of the, well, like we said, the special effects and some of the graphics. So so I, I agree with that. And I do agree with Todd. I, I felt like they really did rush Paul's relationship with his wife. I mean, it just, it didn't feel natural in the scope of the way that they presented it in the movie. Tell me if you're homeward or this will. Yeah. We, we kind of know that he's been dreaming about her and she's been dreaming about him and, oh, yeah. and, and that kind of thing before they even meet. But, uh, but it just, we didn't really get a sense that, that they loved each other as much as when, like you said, when you read it in the book and you get to that depth of, of the characters. Um, and that is a shortcoming. So, um, but yeah, let's get to our lightning round. Oh, what was it Andrew said? Chikawa or something like that? Yeah, it was like, it was like lightning <laughs> Sorry, I thought you said train round. My bad. <laughs> yeah, he was lightning McQueen. Cacao. So we're we're in our light. We're going to get to our lightning round. Everybody get your dice. We're going to have to roll for initiative. I get to use my brand new dice. Uh, seven. At least take Curtis. Fourteen. Twenty, let's go. Woo! Do I get like five extra seconds? No. Do I get Joanna to like me? Mm-hmm. That's no. never gonna happen. <laughs> of course, we've all cheated at some point anyway. So, do you get it five extra he- seconds? You do if you do. Oh, <laughs> guess who else got a twenty? Uncle said her name. No. <laughs> what are the odds of that? One in four hundred. And it's an, you got to you got to beat an eighteen if you want to go first. I got another 20. Oh, okay. back to back. <laughs> Loaded dice. I love it. Yeah, yeah I think much. I used the same <laughs> dice twice, so I think I need new dice. So That's okay. Thanks, Dad. Um, so, Andrew, you are up first with our lightning round. You got 30 seconds to talk about anything that you want with about this movie or about anything. Okay, ready? And go. Uh... It was okay. And that's kind of generous. I mean, it was pretty bad. Like, I was just lost the entire time. And I was really bored. At least I got to use knives at the end. Which was really cool. I like knives. And then the worms were just kind of there. There was only like nine of them. Which, we already talked about them. Like, I don't know. It was just bad. Time. Why? Just why? (laughs) All right, Dave, you are up next. Ready? 30 seconds on the clock. Sure. And go. CBS cares. And I just want to say that we and our podcast in no way are affiliated with the worm racists <laughs> <laughs> who has been very insensitive to the plight of the sandworms on Arrakis <laughs> and all those who have to deal with such creatures 
And yeah, just CBS uh, cares. Somebody's calling PETA. <laughs> yeah. I'm just as confused as when I was watching the movie. <laughs> okay. All right. I guess I'm next and I never got to say about the slug thing. So I guess I'll have to cheat and save that for when we do our grades. So, all right. So ready for lightning round? We're ready. And, and go. Uh, still suits. Urine and feces are processed in the thigh pads, but how? Uh, fitted desert fashion. What does that mean? Ambient temperature at one point is 350 Kelvin, which is 170.33 Fahrenheit. How can anybody survive at that temperature? When Jessica uses the voice, how does there's no need to fight over me translate as kill your co-pilot? Paul is taking about a hundred troops in the, or training about a hundred troops in the weirding way, but who trained him? Why is Gurney carrying a dog in the battle? The Fremen brought drummers? Still have two seconds. Time. What? <laughs> what do you mean they brought drummers? They brought drummers during that knife fight that Andrew was talking about. There were some Fremen over in the back who, who brought oh, drums and they started drumming. I'm like, they brought drums? Oh, well, yeah. Drums? I mean, that makes sense. I mean, they just defeated the emperor of the known universe. Of course, they're going to bring like party ins- instruments. Yeah. Just saying. I was like, drummers? Okay. What the hell are you talking about? Oh, that's right. I thought you said dancers right, there so- for a second. I was kind of confused. There were some of them too. They were the ones well, that of the course room. they're going to bring dancers. Todd kind of trips me out because he asks some of these questions and I'm just like, what do, do we ask these questions about everything? I mean, nobody asked how does, you know, warp drive work on Star Trek? We just, oh, it magically works. Nobody asked how does the replicator work? It, it just works. You know, I don't know. I'm just curious. Well, that's why I say some of this crap for the lightning round. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so you ready? I'm not, but go ahead. Okay, and go. So I've almost finished my Dragon Nectar's uh, mead, and it's actually pretty good. I'm enjoying it. It's given me a little boost for this end of this podcast. So I would say go ahead and get some and enjoy some. I think I enjoyed it more than Todd because I kept drinking mine throughout the whole podcast, and he switched to water. Um, this is a good movie. It's I see the problems, and I understand the, the hesitancy. But I would say give it a try, and even better yet, give this new movie that's coming out a try. This it's gonna be two parts and we only get the first half in this new movie. So definitely more content there. It is time for us to rate this movie. Ratings. Okay, and can I ask a favor? Yeah. Okay, so both both the days, because you guys like it, I'm still unclear on how and why. Like, what are the redeeming qualities? I mean, I know you guys talked about it a little bit, but we kind of went off on tangents on, on the book. And then I know some of it was my fault because I didn't like it. And we had to split the time between the good and bad stuff. But I'm still confused as to why you guys or anybody else out there would like it. So, okay. so when you do give your grade, I mean, obviously don't go down another rabbit hole. It's like another five minutes. But just real quick, like, tell me what's there for you because I still don't get it. Okay. Um. Andrew, we always start with you on our grade and your ever-evolving grading system. So, hang on, hang on. Got? Wait, you used the wrong terminology. It's devolving. If it's devolving. going backwards, I gotcha. I gotcha. So, what you got for us on Dune? First of all, I would just like to say I don't condone worm racism. <laughs> But um, it is useful when it's approved, okay? You wormest. You wormest. <laughs> okay, like... CBS cares. Andrew doesn't. 
<laughs> How do I put this delicately? Um, Too late. If this movie was a Chipotle bowl. <laughs> you've got to start using something different because that's like four times now you've been like, if this movie is like a Chipotle bowl. Can you pick a food from a restaurant you go to? Yeah, you know. If this movie was like cafeteria pizza. <laughs> if this movie was a gummy bear. Oh my. I would look at the bag and it would say all red gummy bears. I'd like nearly piss myself being so excited. But I'd have to watch a two and a half hour movie that is really confusing and really boring to get to the satisfaction of knowing that I got all red gummy bears. So I then after watching the movie, I opened the bag and it's blue gummy bears. What? It's a load of crap. Okay. I wasted my time over nothing. Never. Did you not look through the clear cellophane and look at the gummy bears? <laughs> Warmest. It was tinted red. Okay. So out of 10 gummy bears, how many? Wouldn't that make the gummy bears purple inside? It would be a D plus out of 10 red gummy bears. What? Okay. D plus out of 10. Ah. That makes sense. Hang on. The hell are you smoking? Because <laughs> I'm telling you right now, I'm going to start hanging out with your parents more. <laughs> uh, okay. I'm going to give you mine, and I, I will, I, Todd. I kind of feel like we have kind of skipped on a little bit of why I enjoyed this movie or why I do. I don't. Enjoy I this. think I did a pretty good job, but hey. Um, now that being said, is this a stellar A plus movie? No, it's not. Um, Blasphemer. I definitely give it a seven out of ten. Okay, it's enjoyable for me to watch. So the things that I do like. I like the progression of the story. I like the following of Paul's character as he develops from kind of scared boy who just lost his father into savior of the known universe. I like that development. Um, I like how he grows as a character. It kind of comes in spits and spurts. It's not a, a real smooth transition that we see as he grows, but we get to see him try things and do things that, you know, nobody else has done. And in some ways, I think the movie doesn't do its service in that we don't see what these other people have done, but we know, you know, kind of like when Paul puts his hand in the box if he takes it out, he's dead. And everybody who's done it before that was kind of in his position has died. No, 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 no. But you're getting stuff confused. Well, the males, because I don't think, well, he was actually the only male. You're, you're right. You're, you're thinking right. about, you're thinking about well, the and, well, water then, of life. And then he, when he takes the water of life, you know, yeah. we get kind of sadly behind the scene glimpses uh, um, kind of in the book and things like that. And, and, they tell you, you know, hey, I've seen what happens when this fails. But sadly, the movie didn't show us what happens when it fails. Think uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade when they choose the wrong goblet. You know, this this was his fate if he didn't do this successfully. Him being able to do these things, it, it's, it's a cool underdog story. It is that I've lost everything. I am now the small rebellion that was like Star Wars 
um, that has to fight this huge galactic empire um, that's entrenched in there and come up with a way to defeat them. Um, and I do it in a manner that no one else thought was possible. You know, we're coming riding in on these giant worms versus, you know, spaceships and things of that nature. So that's what I like about it. To me, that makes a cool story. Uh, I like that they kind of intermix that fantasy element and the, and the, the sci-fi elements. I like the, the progression of the characters. It's not smooth. The movie doesn't do it justice, but it's there and you can see it. And I think it's the more and more I've watched it and I can feel comfortable with it, then I like it more. That being said, I don't know that my grade will ever go up much from a seven. You know, that's kind of about where it's going to max out because I can see those problems. I mean, it's not a, a pure story. There's a lot that's left out from the books that's not in the movie, and there's no way to go back now and put it in. But it's a story that I find interesting. I like that meld of kind of the magic and the sci-fi elements. Um, I can see where people kind of get lost and, oh, I just don't understand and I don't want to understand. But to me, I don't have to know everything. Uh, I'm okay, you know, going into a story like this and going, you know, there's parts of this that I don't understand. I don't know how it works. I'm not supposed to. It's okay. It's, it's, you know, how come when you say when Guardian Leviosa, you know, in Harry Potter, the, the, the feather floats, nobody explains that. There's no reason to. It's just the magic. And I, I like a little bit of magic in, in my stories, even in my sci-fi. And, and so I'm okay with that. And so that's kind of where I like it. Does that help at all, Todd? A little bit, but I just still just disagree. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and, and that's one of the great things about us being on our podcast with the Discerning Geeks. We can disagree and, and not like the same things. That's that's kind of why I like it. Todd, you're up next, so you get to, to put the numbers into your disagreement. Yeah, and to clarify, I think the things that you said are there and that you like, I recognize the potential for them being there, but I feel like they are still either missing or underdeveloped. So in the end, the movie just doesn't have anything for me. And I've already gone through the rundown, so I won't repeat it all. But basically every aspect had issues for me. Now, I did say that I skipped one thing, so I want to talk about it. The uh, There are these giant slugs who fold space. They ingest the spice, it mutates them, and they're able to, to fold space. And there's actually a scene where we see them do that as, they tra- as some of the characters travel to Arrakis. And when they do it, they shoot out of their bodies this energy and I don't know exactly what they're shooting out. So let's just say for the sake of explanation, let's just call it subspace. What I couldn't totally tell was, is it coming out of their mouth or is it coming out of their butt? And I was like, are they throwing up subspace or are they pooting subspace? And I actually started to chuckle and some of the, and you guys have been around me since high school. So you, you might've have been around me a few times when, when I get into a chuckle fit where I start to chuckle and then I chuckle a little bit more and then I kind of chuckle at myself chuckling. I chuckle for like 30 to 60 seconds while watching this scene. It actually gave me the one moment of enjoyment in watching this movie. The thing is, I don't think it was intended to be funny. <laughs> so it still counts as a negative. So anyway, that that's the uh, space slug scene that I didn't get to earlier. 3000 so, years of evolution. 
the guy had been eating spice for 3,000 years. I know. Nah. I couldn't tell which end it was coming out of. And here's the thing. I could have rewound like so many other times I rewound. I was like, did I miss something? I mean, there was it one time. It came out of his mouth. There was one time I was halfway through the movie and I literally rewound to like the first five or 10 minutes and I had to fast forward again to get back to where I was. And there was one time during the, the space log thing where I was like, I could rewind, but it's more enjoyable not knowing. <laughs> um, yeah, it came out of his mouth. Just so you know. So for all the reasons that I have listed, I think my grade is probably not going to be too much of a surprise. This is going to be, I think, episode 71. And for the first time ever in our podcast, I'm giving a movie an F. Oh. Now, to be clear, I don't want an F to sound like, I don't care. <laughs> like everybody involved sucked and they should never work in Hollywood again and everything like Everybody who worked on this movie, they showed up, they did their job, they earned their money, but a movie is hard to make. And it's a big collection of different pieces and parts and aspects. And I just felt like even the good things that were done well didn't come together very well. And a lot of it was probably the studio's fault in enforcing the director to, to direct it or to edit it down. In fact, he didn't have final edit. I remember that now. That was one of his big complaints. He did not have final edit. So it was the producers or the studio that edited down to two hours and 17 minutes. So they're kind of to blame for the things missing that I feel probably ought to be there. So I just feel like overall, for all the reasons I've already listed, the movie is just a big mess, but it doesn't mean the people involved are horrible or don't have talent or shouldn't work again. So. Yeah, take that, CBS Luke Picard. You suck, man. <laughs> I know. Like one of, one of one of Todd's favorite actors is in the freaking film, and he's like, <laughs> "You suck, dude." Uh, Dave, what you got for us? <laughs> Behold, like a wild ass, I go forth unto my work. Um, I will. I, I part of me wants to be like, "Oh my god, you should like own this film." Um, unfortunately, though, I have to I have to accept reality and the fact that it does not age well uh, because of the fact it was 1984. I mean, Star Wars was only 10 Seven. years before this. The The whole special effects had caught up a little bit, but it hadn't caught up to everybody yet on what you could really do and what you really couldn't do. And um, and so because of that, it's still a Saturday movie. Um, it's one of those where if you're flipping through channels and you've seen it or, or you're just wanting some noise or whatever, you're going to stop. I, I, I believe you will. I believe you'll stop and you may not watch it. You may keep on doing what you were doing or working on something or what have you. But if you're wanting some noise in the background, you're, it's definitely going to be, um, uh, especially good for that. It's, it's definitely a, um, a, um, uh, a Saturday movie in which, uh, Actually, to be honest, I'll even say it's a matinee movie. If for some odd reason somebody's showing it on the big screen, uh, go see it because it'll change your perspective. The whole wormist would probably uh, enjoy it better if you could actually see the worms and the size they probably should be, which would be on the big screen. Uh, but, you know, hey, he's, you know, he's a wormist. What do you expect? CBS Dude, cares. I'm sorry. Anyway, um, they're ugly no, and they're not no, cool. It's, it's too late. It's too late. Wormist. I am. Anyway, I hate them. Anyway, why do I like the movie? It makes you think. That that is primarily the reason why I I love this film and I love this version of this film. You have to pay attention. You have to listen. You have to catch everything. That does not necessarily mean you can't just let it run and just whatever you know, kind of walk past it and be like, oh, that's kind of cool, or oh, that's all right. But really and truly, if you sit down uh, and you're going to pay attention to the film, 
that's part of the reason why I like it. First of all, I think it presents the future and the environments in which people are in correctly. Uh, in the fact that people are dirty when they're in the desert, they've got sand on them, you know, things like that. Uh, during the battle, people are soot ridden. There's, you know, I, that's part of it, but really truly the, the, the basic part of it is it makes you think you have to pay attention, um, or you are going to miss something and, um, you know, get confused on whether subatomic energy is coming out of a third stage gold navigator's butt or his mouth. <laughs> um, because if you paid attention, you'd realize it. However, this does bring up an interesting point that I had never thought before, and, t- and I have to thank Todd for this. They refer to the guy as a third stage n- guild navigator. That means there's two other stages above the third stage that we never see. And so it's kind of like if the third stage guy looks that bad, what does the second and first stage guy look like? Because they have to be there. Hmm. That's definitely probably not going to be good for your social calendar. Just saying. I'll miss the sea, but a person needs new experiences. They jar something deep inside, allowing him to grow without change. Something sleeps inside us and seldom awakens. The sleeper must awaken. That's deep, man. That is deep. I love, I love, I don't know if you guys picked it up on the podcast, but I heard Todd in my earphones and he's like, Meh. yeah, he's like, oh, he's like, oh, God, please stop. No, I think if you're really going to quote this movie, you have to quote the mantra that he does, which is the, the fear is the little death, fear is the mind killer. Uh, I shall not fear, you know, I'll let it pass through me and over me. Oh, and by the way, Todd, if you're wondering who taught him the weirding way, it was his mama. His mama taught him the weirding way. Um, and of course, uh, Thufer and everything. Cause remember he has the whole, well, they were, uh, he was trained in the weird, practice. he was trained in the weirding way before they ever left yeah. or Dune. Yeah. Before they ever left for Arrakis. Yeah. Um, because, uh, you know, that's, that was the whole scene with it where it was like his, his survival requires the voice. Yeah. But for the father, nothing. All right. We gotta, we gotta wrap this up. Um, I'd yeah, love long. to hear from our <laughs> listeners um, out there. You guys could let us know what you think about Dune. Does it hold up? Did you never like it? Do you think it needs a second look? Um, you can email us at discerninggeeks at gmail.com. You can interact with us on our Facebook page, the Discerning Geeks portal. I'm sure we'll have lots of back and forth once we post that we're reviewing this one and people are commenting on it. Yeah. Maybe we can talk or, about how much worms suck. <laughs> or you can post. Silence on, the wormist. <laughs> you can interact with us on Twitter at discerning geeks. Um, What's funny is now I am imagining him in like a Ku Klux Klan outfit. Only it's got like a big worm head on top of it. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like it's like a big worm with like the floppy, with like the mouth kind of flopping around. It's like death to the worms. They had one in extra large. Okay, I had to. Sorry, man. Yeah. Okay. I think there's something that Freud would want to ex- talk about with Andrew as he's going through puberty and and having all these like hateful. Worms suck. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're not bi. That's a good thing, I guess. <laughs> 
All right. So we got to wrap this up, guys. It has been fun. I've got. I really enjoyed the, the the dragon's nectar, Todd. Thank you very much. Oh yeah, I might have to make this a an ongoing thing. I got several of them. I'm gonna drink one a podcast because uh, it took me about the whole podcast, but I drank it and I enjoyed it, and I'm feeling a little flush, so I'm good. Well, you spent 20 minutes talking about it at the beginning, so hey. and that's why our podcast ran a little bit long this time. But hey, because Dave is a drunk. Notice hey. how they're not drinking worm nectar. This worm stuff. Um, we we got to choose what we're doing next time. So, spin the wheel. Oh, we that's right. We have to go to the wheel of insanity. Wheel of insanity. Please back to the and future. While I'm getting the, and, and while I'm getting the wheel ready, Dave, you ought to feel good. This means that I officially <laughs> like killer clowns from outer space better than this. <laughs> Okay, here we go. Here we go. As I knew you would. 83. 83. Well, that's a high one. I don't think we've had a high one yet. This will be something that Todd wanted. 83. Oh, we've already done it. Uh, 83. I think you need new dice, Todd. Was. Oh, 83 was Dune. Oh, (laughs) we get get to do it again. (laughs) 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 I can't take it. No. All right. Let's see. Uh, 97. 97. 97. Wow, that's real high. Like oh, come on. Yes. No. Oh, no, no, no. Yes. Somebody else is going to have to start rolling. No. Give it Men to in us. Black. Men in Black? I just watched that. Okay. Like yesterday, just for shits and giggles. That's like a classic, man. You got you don't like Men no. in Black? No. Here no. come the men in black. <laughs> wow. Todd, next There's time like I'll the, roll. There was the whole music video and everything. Yeah. I mean. I, I literally just watched that yesterday. Just just because. Todd was here. He was like, what were you watching? Men in Black 2? Because I just watched Men in Black. So we get to do Men in Black. I like Men in Black. That's a good, that must, I think that was your choice, Dave. Was that one here? You no. Put, no? Nope. Uh-huh. It was Todd. He secretly likes Men in Black. Yeah, it was yours, Dave. I was going to say. It was mine. <laughs> it was, mine? It wasn't mine. Yeah. That must have been a filler. <laughs> That's okay. That's a good one. I like it. Um, I what do you think we should get out of Men in Black next week? Shiny guns. <laughs> okay. Lots, lots and lots of really shiny guns. Shiny guns. Okay. Shiny guns. And Tommy Lee Jones. Come on. Yeah. I've Tommy got Lee two Jones, shiny guns right here. Will Smith. Will Smith owned like, you know, July 4th for about six years. I think Men in yeah, Black was part true. of one of those releases. He had like the the you know early July release every year for a number of years in a row. Yeah, um, and then, he, then 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 uh Wild Wild West hit. Just, just, <laughs> wow. That's one we have to review sometime. <laughs> <laughs> which, which oddly enough, we have a little bit of inside information on Wild Wild West uh, because one of the guys that we used to do 48-hour film festival with uh, had some friends in Hollywood when that film was coming out and told us why there was an actual giant spider in it. And we were shocked and stunned when he told us why there was a giant spider in Wild Wild West. We have to hold on to that. But for our listeners... Like Dune, we all have different things that we like or don't like, but we encourage you to continue to like 
whatever makes you a discerning geek. And enjoyed talking with you guys. Enjoyed watching the movie. I know some of us didn't enjoy it as much as others. Um, but we'll be back again next week and look forward to sharing another Dragon's Nectar with you. And I hope everyone has a great week. Have a good evening. Thank you for listening. I had a worm dream that one day Spice and the Fremen could live together side by side on Arrakis. Not in this lifetime. May the force be with you. Always. He is the Cadillac Hatrack. <laughs> Did he say Cadillac Hatterack? He said Cadillac Hatrack. I was like, no. He stick away his Cadillac. Oh my god, somebody cut out. Ha <laughs> ha